From Genesis to Revelation, the focus is upon a lamb. In Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, God slaughtered an animal, shedding its blood, and making garments to cover the couple. While the text does not specify that this particular animal was a lamb, the context of Genesis 4 reveals that God was satisfied with Abel's sacrifice from his flock, a term used of sheep or goats. Throughout the remainder of Genesis and the Old Testament, lambs or sheep were the acceptable sacrificial animal for the daily burnt offerings, Sabbath sacrifices, the sacrifices associated with the Lord's feast, the peace offering, and as an atonement for sin. Now the term atonement, kapar, means to cover. Therefore, when God slaughtered the lamb, he provided a covering or an atonement for Adam and Eve. The skin of the animal provided a covering for their nakedness. Whereas the blood of the animal provided an atonement or covering for sin. And from that, that moment forward, the sheep or lamb was a type for the Messiah who would come to atone for humanity's sins. Now the lamb as a type for the Messiah is further magnified in Genesis 22:8, when Abraham said to Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so when Jesus appeared before John the Baptist almost 2,000 years later, John recognized the fulfillment of the type and declared in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 31 times in the New Testament, Christ is revealed as the Lamb. 26 of those references are in the book of Revelation. Now, if anyone listening thinks that Christ as the Lamb is simply for the Jews and not for the Gentiles, I want you to consider Paul's statement to the Gentile believers in Corinth. He stated in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Did you hear what Paul said? Christ is our Passover. That means that Christ, the Lamb of God, is the Passover Lamb for all people, whether Jew or Gentile. Now, the Lord appointed this yearly celebration of the Passover as a twofold reminder. On the one hand, it was a reminder of how he delivered his people in the past, i.e., the Exodus. On the other hand, the Passover was a reminder that God would send the Messiah to deliver humanity from sin. And so each year on the Psalm 14, the people of God celebrated the Passover. Leviticus 23 verse 5. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. Now, did you see that? Did you hear that? It was the Lord's or Yahweh's Passover. It wasn't the Jews' Passover, certainly not the Gentiles' Passover. It was the Lord's Passover. The Passover is Yahweh's because he instituted it. 
He enacted it and he performed it. See, the Passover is a celebration of how God delivered his people. And as the Lord's Supper is the continuation of the Passover, it is the Lord's Supper because the Lord Jesus instituted it, the Lord Jesus enacted it, and the Lord Jesus performed it. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of how the Lord Jesus Christ delivered humanity from sin and death as the Passover lamb. Now, as the yearly Passover approached, each family was required to choose a lamb for their Passover sacrifice. And so when the Jews partook of the Passover in Egypt, the head of the household selected or purchased a lamb and marked it for death on the Son 10. Exodus 12, 3 and 5. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So Nisan 10 became known as the Great Sabbath. See, according to the Talmud, Israel left Egypt on Thursday, Nisan 15. Nisan 10 was the day on which the people selected their lambs for sacrifice. So if we work back through the dates, Nisan 10 would have fallen on the weekly Sabbath before the Exodus. Hence, the day when the Passover lambs were chosen is called the Great Sabbath. So the lamb would be purchased and then presented to the family. And for the next four days, the family probed the chosen lamb to ensure that it was without blemish or defect. Deuteronomy 15.21 But if it has any defect, such as lameness or blindness or any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Now by the fourth day, the family, and particularly the children, had grown fond of the lamb. I want you to take note here of the personalization of the lamb over those four days in Exodus 12, 3-5. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbors nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now notice verse 3 says, take a lamb. The term lamb, say, is an authorist. That is, it lacks a definite article. Hence, it can refer to any lamb. There's nothing distinctive about this lamb. Verse 4 says, divide the lamb. Hase. Now the term lamb is now articular. That it is, it has a definite article, ha. There's now something distinct about this lamb. This lamb has been set apart for the rest of the people. It's set apart for a specific purpose. 
And then verse 5 says, your land, the people are now fully identified with the lamb that will die for their sins. So having this background is necessary for us to understand the meaning behind Jesus as the Lamb of God. Much of the significance of Christ as the Lamb of God is overshadowed by unbiblical teachings about Christ's sacrifice by the apostate church. And namely, I'm talking about that false teaching that Christ died on a Friday and was resurrected a day and a half later on Sunday morning. Believers, we need to behold the Lamb of God. We need to behold the Lamb of God from the lens of Scripture, not tradition. What does the Bible say about the choosing of this Lamb? The Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover Lamb. Let us consider the choosing of the Lamb. See, this Lamb, the Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ, was chosen by God before the foundation of the world. See, just as the Lamb for the Passover sacrifice had to be chosen beforehand, so the Lamb of God was chosen before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. See, Peter reveals here in 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20 that Jesus' ministry of redemption as the Passover lamb was foreknown before the foundation of the world. The word foreknown, prognosco, refers to prior acknowledgement. Before the foundation of the world refers to eternity past. That is, in eternity past, God the Father decreed the program of redemption, which included choosing his son as the redeemer of humanity. As Peter preached on Pentecost, Christ's death was not plan B. It was not a twist of fate. It was not a panicked response to humanity's sin. No, it was the predetermined Plan of God. Acts 2.23 This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. See, according to Peter, humanity has been redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. Now that verb redeemed, latrao, refers to the work of redeeming sinners from slavery to sin. Now to Peter's Jewish readers, Latrao immediately caused them to recall Israel's redemption from Egypt and that first Passover. 
Interestingly, the Septuagint uses the verb latrao to translate three particular Hebrew terms. Kofar, Gaal, and Peda. Now the Hebrew term, Kofar, is used of the payment made to cover or atone for sin. Psalm 49, 7 and 8. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give a ransom, a payment, a covering for him, for the redemption of his soul is costly. The next term, Gaal, and its derivative, Goel, means to reclaim a person or possession through payment. It is specifically associated with the work of the kinsman redeemer in purchasing a family memory out of slavery. Leviticus 25.48 Then he shall have redemption right after he has been sold. One of his brothers may redeem him. Now God in the Old Testament is depicted as a goal or a kinsman redeemer by buying back his people from punishment in hell. Psalm 19.14 Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, my goel. Psalm 103 verse 4 Who redeems goel your life from the pit. Now, in order to be the redeemer, the goal, or the kinsman redeemer of humanity, God must be a blood relative to those who he's redeeming. And so what we have here in the term goal is a foreshadowing of the Son of God taking on flesh and being born of the Virgin Mary in order to redeem humanity. And then the final term, peta, refers to the transfer of ownership through the payment of a price or substitute. Now, of the 69 usages of peta in the Old Testament, the vast majority involved the substituting of an animal for a person. See, when God redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt, Ownership of Israel was transferred to God through the death of a firstborn lamb as its substitute. Deuteronomy 15.15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed, Peda you. Therefore I command you this day. Again in Psalm 49 verse 15, Peda is used also as a reference to redemption from hell. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. God redeems humanity from hell by means of a substitute. And so by understanding these three Hebrew terms, Kofar, Gael, or Goel, and Peda, it helps us to comprehend Several aspects of redemption. First, redemption involves the recovery of persons or things. Two, redemption is dependent on the power of God. Three, 
Redemption demands the payment of a price or ransom to initiate the recovery of said person or thing. And four, redemption requires an intermediary or kinsman redeemer, a goal, to secure the recovery. Now Christ is not only the redeemer, he is the ransom. And as the ransom, he is the lamb. And that ransom is the death and shed blood of that lamb. These three Old Testament terms for redemption are associated with the redemption of Israel from Egypt. But they also have a messianic theme. From Job through the prophets, they looked forward to God sending the Messiah to be their redeemer, to be their lamb, and, re- and save them from sin and its curse. And it's this messianic theme of redemption that the Emmaus Road disciples had in mind when discussing with Jesus, Luke 24, 21. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it is the third day since these things happened. Now, my friends, you and I have been redeemed. We have been released from the bondage of sin, through the payment of a price. And that price is the precious blood, the blood of Christ. That verb latrao in the context of 1 Peter 1.18 is in the aorist tense in passive voice. The aorist tense tells us that the payment of the price is a completed action. It's not an ongoing process. Jesus is not continuously being offered again and again. He offered himself as a sacrifice once For all time. Hebrews 7.27 Who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Now the passive voice indicates that believers receive redemption as a result of the payment. Jesus paid the price for every lawless deed you have ever committed. And in turn, he purified you. Titus 2.14 Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Now this ransom was not paid to Satan, but to God. It was God who was offended. It was God who was wrong. And therefore, payment or restitution needed to be paid to him. Now by invoking the term blood, Peter draws us back to the sacrifices of the Old Testament, where the shedding of blood was necessary for atonement. Peter states that Christ's blood is precious or of great worth. And to underscore the great worth of this blood, Peter compares his blood, Christ's blood, to that of a lamb unblemished and spotless. And immediately the readers, the Jewish readers, had memories of Passover. Deuteronomy 12 verse 5. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Deuteronomy 15 21. But if it has any defect, such as lameness or blindness or any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. A Passover lamb had to be unblemished without defect or spot. 
Unblemish, amomas, means to be free from in any internal spot or sin. Spotless, aspalas, refers to being free from external spot or sin. And just as the Passover lamb was flawless, so Christ is unblemished and spotless. That is, he is without sin. He did not have internal sin. He had no sin nature. Nor did he have any external sin. He committed no acts of sin. John 18.38, Pilate said, I find no guilt in him. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. As well, note that the Passover lamb died as a proxy, and so Christ died as a substitute for humanity. Matthew 20, verse 28. The pass, uh, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. A ransom. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ also hath been offered once to bear the sins of many. Now that term for in Matthew 20, 28, ransom for many, means in place of. It highlights the substitutionary aspect of Jesus' sacrifice. While Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all, as 1 Timothy 2.6 says, his substitutionary ransom is only efficacious to those who repent and believe, i.e. the many. And so what we see here is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb, chosen before the foundations of the world. Now, Jesus was not only chosen as the Lamb by God, but He was chosen by humanity on the great Sabbath. And the Scripture is going to show us, just as the Passover Lamb was purchased and presented and probed, so too Jesus was purchased, presented, and probed. And in doing so, he becomes the Passover lamb and the substitutionary sacrifice for humanity. Now let's begin as we consider now secondly that, that the lamb of God is chosen by humanity on the great Sabbath. Let's consider first the purchase of the lamb. John chapter 12 verses 1 through 6. John chapter 12 verses 1 through 6. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of a very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put in it. Now notice here, Jesus arrived in Bethany six days before the Passover. Now, Passover begins the evening of Nisan 14 and continues until Nisan 15. And that place is Christ's arrival in Bethany on Nisan 9. Now, that evening, Simon, the former leper, hosted a dinner at his house. 
Matthew 26, 6. When Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Now, according to John 12, Martha was serving the food, and Mary had a pound of pure nard. Now, what is nard? Well, nard is an aromatic ointment produced in India and stored in alabaster boxes. A pound, litra, is a Roman pound equivalent to 12 ounces. Such an amount cost a year's wages. And so it was usually kept in a secure place in the home. It certainly wasn't carried uh, from place to place or brought to a dinner party. That Martha served the food in Simon's home and that Mary had access to this nard implies that Simon was the father of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. So during this dinner, Mary takes the alabaster box, breaks it, and anoints Jesus with the ointment. Judas, in response to this supposed waste, pitched a fit and feigned a pious response. But after the supper, he went to the chief priest and offered to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 26, 14 to 16. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Now notice, Judas went to the chief priest after the supper. The supper began on the Psalm 9. He went after sunset, which places his treachery on Nisan 10. And Nisan 10 is the great Sabbath, the day the people purchased their lambs for sacrifice on Nisan 14. And so what we see here is that Jesus, the Passover Lamb of God, was purchased by humanity on Nisan 10 for 30 pieces of silver. Now, besides the choice of the Passover lamb on the Great Sabbath, the Great Sabbath took on another significance. Now let's turn over to John chapter 12, verses 12 to 15, and we're now going to come to the presentation of the lamb. So we have the lamb purchased, now we have the lamb presented. John 12, 12 to 15. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him, and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel, Jesus, finding a young, don young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, as I said, the great Sabbath is not only the day that the Passover lambs are chosen, but it has another significance. Based on the prophecy of Malachi 4.5, which says, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, the Jewish sages have interpreted that to mean that the great day of the Lord, the day when Messiah comes, would be the great Sabbath. 
Now, the prophetic significance of this text has huge implications upon Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Now, again, we identified in John 12, 1 that Jesus was in Bethany on Nisan 9, six days before Passover. According to the calendar for A.D. 29, the year of Jesus' crucifixion, Nisan 10, the great Sabbath, fell on the weekly Sabbath. Now, John 12, 12 says, on the next day, a crowd heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, went out to meet him. What's the next day after Nisan 9? Nisan 10, the great Sabbath. So on the same day, which the Passover lambs are being chosen, Jesus, the Lamb of God, triumphantly enters the city of Jerusalem. Now, before we go any further into the text, we've got to answer a question. How could Jesus travel from Bethany to Jerusalem on the Sabbath day in light of the Pharisaical ordinance regarding a Sabbath day's journey. Now, a Sabbath day's journey, accordingly, was considered 2,000 cubits. That's 3,000 to 3,600 feet, or half a mile, based on rabbinical interpretation of Joshua 3.4, which is the distance between the people and the Ark of the Covenant. There shall be between you and it a distance of 2,000 cubits by measure. Now, by the time of Christ, the Pharisees had created various methods to increase the distance to 4,000 cubits, or 5 to 5,600 feet, uh, or about one mile. Now, I want you to consider, though, Bethany was two miles, which would have been one and a half miles further, or at least one mile further, than a Sabbath day's journey. However, let us recall that Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. Matthew 12, 8. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He is not bound by human-made traditions. And the fact that Christ would make such an entrance into Jerusalem on the Sabbath, despite man's traditions, established that He is the King. He is Lord. He is Yahweh. And how fitting is it that on the day of great Sabbath, the Lamb of God entered the city, presenting Himself as Lord while the people were choosing their lamb, but also awaiting the coming of the Lord based on Malachi's prophecy. And he did remember that John, Jesus had already stated that John the baptizer was the fulfillment of Malachi 4.5. Matthew 11, 13 and 14, if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now again, John was not Elijah himself, but he did come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Luke 1.17 It is he, John the baptizer, who will go as a forerunner before him, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now because the people had already accepted John as Elijah, and because they understood Malachi 4 or 5 to mean that Christ would come on the great Sabbath, they are eagerly awaiting the Messiah's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And so when Jesus entered Jerusalem, they took branches of the palm trees and shouted, Hosanna! Now these palm branches were symbols of victory. They proclaimed victory because why? The Messiah had come. The term Hosanna is a transliteration of the Hebrew term, meaning, please save or save now. It comes from Psalm 118.25, O Lord, do save. 
And by shouting Hosanna, they were identifying Christ as Yahweh, the one who will save. And they followed up with proclaiming, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A direct quote from Psalm 118.26. And that phrase, he who comes, is a messianic title meaning the coming one. And so what we have here is the Lamb of God being presented as both Lord and Messiah. And so the Lamb of God is both Yahweh and Messiah, both Lord and Messiah. So we have the Lamb purchased. We have the Lamb presented. And after the chosen lamb is purchased and presented, it is probed for the next four days in order to determine if there are any blemishes or defects. And so let's turn to John 18 and consider the probing of the lamb. The probing of the lamb. We'll start with verses 12 and 13 of John 18. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him, and led him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Verse 23 to 24. Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Verse 28 to 30. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring me against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Verse 38. Pilate went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Now from Nisan 10 until Nisan 13, four days, Jesus was examined by the people and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. So we have Saturday, Nisan 10th, his triumphant entry. On Sunday, Nisan 11th, we have the cleansing of the temple. On Monday, Nisan 12th, we have the temple polemic, his questioning by the leaders and his censure of the leaders, and then the Olivet Discourse. And then Tuesday, Nisan 13, we have preparation for the Passover. And then finally, on Tuesday, Nisan 14, Tuesday night, Nisan 14, we have his trial before these quote-unquote leaders. In each of these events, Jesus was examined by both the people and the religious leaders. In particular, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Herodians publicly questioned Christ with the intent of entrapping him in a mistake. And in each of their attempts, they were silenced. This probing or examination of the Lamb culminated in a night-long series of trials or inquisitions before Annas, the high priest, and the Sanhedrin, Herod Antipas, and finally Pilate. Having no actual evidence of wrongdoing, the chief priest and the Sanhedrin attempted to obtain false testimony against Jesus. Matthew 26, 59-60. Now the chief priest... And the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. When Pilate asked what charges they brought against Christ, rather than provide charges, they simply replied, 
If this man were not an evildoer, would we have brought him to you? In each of these interrogations, no actual charges could be brought against Christ. And so Pilate declared, I find no fault in him. Now Peter, who was an eyewitness of these events, sums up the findings of these trials in 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. And in those verses, he first quotes Isaiah 53, verse 9, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. His point was, though Jesus suffered, it was not due to sin. Indeed, Jesus lived a sinless life. He was without blemish or defect. Theologically, we call Christ's sinlessness impeccability. That is, he was not able to sin. Second, Peter quoted Isaiah 53, verse 7. Being reviled, he did not revile in return. Suffering, he uttered no threats. See, Peter witnessed the slander Jesus endured from the soldiers, Sanhedrin, and the statesmen. Luke 23, 2, 5, 10, and 11. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. And they kept on insisting, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there, accusing him vehemently, and hurried with his soldiers after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. And for all the slander, Jesus remained silent. Matthew 27, 12, and 14. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Luke 23, verse 9, he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. Jesus could have struck down his enemies with a mere thought, but instead he acted selflessly, surrendering his rights. Listen, he had the right, as every person does, we have the right to defend ourselves. But he set aside this human right along with other divine rights in order to be the sacrificial lamb of God. And he willingly submitted to the suffering because he knew it was God's will. Peter went on to state that Jesus kept entrusting to himself him to or excuse me kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously a reference to Psalm 31, verse 5, which Jesus spoke from the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Christ's suffering as the Lamb was divinely ordained. This man, delivered over to the, by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Acts 2, 23. By continually entrusting himself to the righteous judge, Jesus knew the Father would vindicate him by raising him from the dead and restoring his glory. And so the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, was chosen by humanity on the great Sabbath. He was purchased for 30 pieces of silver. He was presented as Lord and Messiah. He was probed and found spotless. Like the Passover Lamb, Jesus was chosen before the foundation of the world, chosen by God. Chosen by humanity on the great Sabbath, but he dies in humanity's place. He was proven beyond a shadow of a doubt to be sinless, free from blemish and spot. And as such, his blood is precious. My friends, it is the precious blood of Jesus 
the Lamb that covers and atones our sin so that God's wrath could pass over all those who repent and believe by accepting Him as their personal Lord and Savior. Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. I say repent and believe in the gospel. Romans 4, 7, and 8, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered, atoned. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. My friend, unless you have appropriated the Lamb of God as your sacrifice, your soul is still lost in sin. And I want you to remember that when a Lamb is chosen, the family it represents has no personal interest in it. But after spending time with the lamb, after examining the lamb, the lamb becomes their lamb. And so too, as you spend time with the lamb of God, you'll soon see your sin and his sinlessness. You will soon acknowledge that he is Lord and Messiah. And as such, you'll repent and place your faith in your lamb. He'll become your Passover lamb. Is he your Passover lamb? Paul declared Christ our Passover lamb. Can you say that with Paul? That Christ is your Passover lamb. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for the gift, this gift of the Passover lamb. Thank you, Father, that you chose him before the foundation of the world to be our lamb, to be our sacrifice, to be our redemption to be the main means by which your wrath would be assuaged. Father, I pray, Lord, there's someone listening who's never received the Lamb, Jesus Christ. They've never spent time with the Lamb. I pray, Lord, that even now you might move upon them. That as they examine Him, they'll see Him as the sinless one. They'll see themselves as sinners. They'll see their need for salvation. They'll see that the fact that, Lord, they're they're on a path to hell. But Christ has come to redeem them from sin, from death, and from hell. That, Lord, they might see him as he is the Messiah. He is the Lord. That they might put their faith in his work of on the cross. That the lamb was sacrificed. He died. He shed his blood to cover their sins. And that, Father, if they would do that just now, if they'd repent of their sin, if they'd place their faith in Jesus Christ, you will cover them. You will pass over them. You'll remember their sins no more. You'll redeem them from the pit of hell. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.